Before we start, a quick reminder that the new season crowdfunding campaign is underway for more special guest episodes of The Edict during winter. Uh, please pledge your support to the 9pm Winter Series 2022. There's one week to go, that is until next Thursday, the 26th of May. So why not, before you before you settle into it, press pause now, go to the 9pmedict.com slash winter 2022 and do the needful. Lovely. The following episode of the 9pm edict contains politics, strong language, dodgy opinions, and adult themes. Labor always wants to put the government at the centre of everything. We want to put you and your family at the centre. We want Australians to own their own home, not the government. Hello, I'm Still Gerian. It's Thursday, the 19th of May, 2022. Welcome to the 9pm election unhinging, week the 6th. So to ensure we can do that, today I want to announce to you the next stage of our plan to help Australians own their own home. We want to further help Australians get past what is the biggest hurdle on their path to home, home ownership. And we started this process with the Home Guarantee Scheme and that is the difficulty of saving for a deposit and be able to use their own money to do it. And that's why a re-elected coalition government will allow first-home buyers to invest a responsible portion of their own superannuation savings into their first home. Two days until the election, just two days. You'd think by now there'd be nothing left to say. But no, Prime Minister Scott Morrison reinvented himself and finally launched his election campaign, like six days out from the election. He also announced the Coalition's home ownership plan. Uh, More on that later. And Anthony Albanese uh, released costings of his policies only this morning. No rush, mate. No rush. We'll look at them later. I couldn't be asked looking at them. If you follow me on Twitter, which most of you do, you will know that yesterday um, I kind of spent nearly the whole day asleep. I was only awake for a total of six hours. Uh, And even then I slept in a bit till 9am this morning. Uh, Pushed back a a recording session. I'll tell you more about that later. Uh, I think I'm just exhausted. It's possibly the post-Rona thing. The timing's right for that, but I don't think so. We shall see. For those of you joining us for the first time uh, in this little election mini-series, welcome. Lovely to have you with us. Uh, This is not a balanced or uh, comprehensive or even necessarily rational look at the election. It's merely my uh, personal observations as we go along. Things that caught my eye and, uh, quite frankly, at this stage of proceedings, I'm, I'm getting a bit over it. I voted last week. Um, I just want it to happen now. I, th- I think most Australians are getting to that point. They go, yeah, yeah, we know. We pretty much know where we are now, except for the you know people who are undecided. They're always fucking undecided. Um, Anthony Green told me once it's about 10%, I think it is, 10 or 12% of people who only decide who they're going to vote for once they're, they're there with the pencil of democracy in their hands. And, uh, Anyway, the thing, one of the things that caught my eye uh, this week was 
was how Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, brushed off all the need for more um, COVID precautions. Here's what he said the other day. One of the highest COVID transmission rates. Yeah. We're approaching 6,000 deaths so far this year. Mm. Was a decision taken that this is an acceptable number? And if not, what are you doing to stop 50 deaths from COVID a year, a, a day in Australia? It is the number of case numbers has risen. And that's what was always going to happen as part of the national plan that we put together with the states and territories, the case numbers would rise. And there were some 53,000 case numbers yesterday. Um, and what you see when you have case numbers at that level is that people, when they pass away from many other, from many other uh, causes, they will die with COVID and their, their deaths are recorded as COVID deaths. But that doesn't necessarily mean, as the premiers themselves have set out, that they passed away because of COVID. And Australia, has been one of the standout performers in managing COVID anywhere in the world. And I'd add this, and I'd add this about COVID. We're living with COVID. I'll tell you what we're not going back to. We're not going back to those daily press conferences of people talking about COVID every day and putting the threat of shutdowns and lockdowns and interfering in people's lives again. I'll tell you, that's not what I'm going to do if I'm re-elected on Saturday. Now, you would think that Anthony Albanese we would have had something uh, very clear to say about uh, Morrison's COVID stuff, but no. What would an Albanese Labor government do to curb the death rate from COVID by way of a national strategy that Scott Morrison once prided himself on delivering? Thanks, Catherine. We do need to step up the national strategy. Uh, we need to look at not just the number of deaths, but also the number of people who are in hospital, but the number of infections which are there as well. Uh, because of uh, the people going out and getting vaccinated, the impact on many people is less than it would have been if people were unvaccinated. But it's still a major issue. Uh, we need to uh, continue to be vigilant and recognise and recognise uh, that this pandemic is still having a real human impact. Okay, now, there is a very key difference there. Albanese is still talking about the pandemic in the present, sen uh, present tense and acknowledging that it's having an impact. Morrison is just incredibly dismissive. These people are, are dying with COVID, not from COVID. Mate, they're still fucking dead. Now, to be clear, I'm not making a comment for or against particular a particular balance of health precautions. Note I use the phrase precautions, not restrictions. They're precautions. Look, and I don't I don't know what's right, right? I'm not an epidemiologist, I'm not a public health person. It's not my department. It's not not my job to say what's right and what's wrong. But that said, with 50 people dying every day, uh, the pandemic's not over and it really really doesn't help anyone to pretend that it is over. And, uh, yeah, yeah, people die of other things all the time, but it's still 50 a day from a specific known cause. I don't, I don't know that being dismissive helps, as I said, and I don't know that Morrison's going to win with those lines.
most of the series, I've, uh, I think all of the series, I've reserved this second slot for my reporting whinge of the week. I've only got a little one um, today, and it's uh, James Masola at uh, the Nine Facts Papers, who uh, who wrote a report saying that uh, Jenny Morrison, Scott Morrison's uh, wife, is joining him on the campaign trail in the final week. This is a, a normal thing. Um, and he quoted a number of people, uh, as you do in a news story, about what the effect of this might be and whether it'll change anything. That's fine, but Masola wrote in his own voice, not as a quote for someone else, I quote, Australians often seek to better understand the character of their Prime Ministers through better understanding their choice of spouse. Okay, citation needed there. Who Do we often do that? It continues, if Jenny Morrison could meet 50.1% of voters, Scott Morrison would be Prime Minister for life. What the fuck? I mean, by all means, have an opinion. By all means, express an opinion that, that you think Jenny Morrison improves Scott Morrison's image. That's a perfectly, you know, not unhinged opinion to hold. I don't know that I agree with it, but it's it's an opinion that a sane and rational person could have. But the rest of it, if Jenny Morrison could meet 50.1% of the voters, Scott Morrison... Uh, would be Prime Minister for life. No, no, he would not, James. Might might be a little unconstitutional. Actually, it's not, is it? He could be. Um, Bob Catter. And as you know, we have been uh, in, in this podcast discussing uh, the sexiness or otherwise of Bob Catter through the, uh, through the eyes of, uh, what did I call her? Susan, who uh, wanted me to set up... Uh, a, uh, a rendezvous with Mr. Catter. Um, uh, quote, Susan, unquote, did, uh, did send me another note during the week pointing out that you can buy Bob Catter cutouts. You can get a Bob Catter celebrity mask uh, for $8.90 Australian or a cardboard cutout. I think full size of Bob Catter for eighty-seven dollars fifty. This is from Life Size Cutouts. Dot. Let me let me get this right. This is from Life Size Cutouts. I should check them out. You might be able to punch some other names in there, but if you would like a life-size cutout of Bob Catter, $87.50. It's cheap at half the price. And while we're on the subject of uh, sexy people, James Bond, Sean Connery, uh, I, I kind of launched this on Twitter the other day with only like a day's notice because it was this stupid idea I, I had. But I now have a thing called Bond on Tuesday. Where every Tuesday night, we're going to watch a James Bond movie. We're doing them in order. So uh, this week we watched Doctor No, the very first James Bond film in the canonical kind of series, 1962. And this coming Tuesday, we'll watch the next one, which from memory is from Russia with Love. 
so how it works is 8.30 p.m. Um, Australian Eastern Standard Time. I'll tweet some things and uh, I'll link to it on Prime Video and so on. Because at the moment, all the Bond films are free as part of your Prime Amazon Prime membership. I don't know how long it's going to last, but we'll go while we can. So... At 8.30, I'll tweet the links, and at 8.40pm, we all press play. The first one was a hoot, seeing everyone's snarky comments about Dr. No uh, and the cigarettes and the racism and the misogyny. It's James Bond. It comes with the territory. But they, they are fun movies in a way, and that's that's always been part of their appeal. So that's Bond on Tuesday, every Tuesday. I've got a list on my website at stillgarian.com. Um I'll just look on Twitter. Hashtag Bond on Tuesday. Right then. Just for a moment, let me take you back nearly 40 years to 1983 and this clip from the ABC archives. The figures are fascinating. Supposing you earn around $240 a week and you want to buy a house like this with the land thrown in. Well, that's going to cost about $36,000. If you can get a state bank loan, the government will pay you $3,500 to sign the contract. The equation can look like this. Basically, if you look at the chart here, uh, this particular home sells for $29,280. On a block of land at $7,500, uh, with their site costings being approximately $1,400 and legal fees... It's all very complicated. So what about those weekly repayments? After all, that's what most people are interested in. $53.80 a week it's going to cost you, and that's lower than rent. As a matter of interest, is it uh, cheaper to build if you're on the Dell? Uh, under the present state bank regulations, I would say yes, it probably is. By the way, this will still leave you with over $2,000 to spend on furniture and carpets, and you'll also be able to deduct $10 a week from tax. Now, if that isn't an inducement to build, I don't know what is. Did you hear the little detail in that? The bloke said that in 1983, if you were on the dole, it would be cheaper to build rather than rent. Now... I think you'd still need a deposit, and these days, I, I mean, if you have that much money to do a deposit, you can't be on the dole, certainly not now, because they make you burn off all of your assets before you can possibly get whatever it's called these days, a job seeker. Uh, amazing, though. $3,500 from the government to sign up for a $36,000 home. That's in 1983. That sounds about right. In 1971, my mother bought a, a three-bedroom cream brick home uh, north of Adelaide for $21,000. That sounds about right. 53 bucks a week. Or um, as Matt Bevan, Matt Bevan from the ABC found that clip, 16% of the average income, um, which is only half the kind of one-third, you know, 30% that, that is considered the most you should pay for housing. Quite amazing. Times 
Times have changed. Uh, as you know, I have been following housing policy a bit this election. Uh, I've already had a long rant about Labor's rather pitiful plan to create a few thousand new affordable homes each year. That'll do nothing, really, when, as we know, the shortfall is about a million homes, and uh, that figure's rising as inequality rises. So, yeah farting about at the edges is uh, Albanese. Well, on the weekend, of course, Scott Morrison did announce the Coalition's two-part plan. Now, one part is this deal. Uh, it's an extension of an existing deal. It was over 65s. It's now going to be over 55s. If they downsize their home, the theory is they get a $300,000 tax-free windfall. Uh, it's complicated how it works. But, but the idea is that if you know, the, the retirees, 55, fuck. Who, who can retire at 55 these days? Um, anyway, the idea is that if they've got a larger home, they sell it, move to a smaller home, and that provides more supply to the housing market somehow. Um, yeah, it's, it's a thing. But then there's the other part. Superannuation is there to help Australians in their retirement. The evidence shows that the best thing we can do to help Australians achieve financial security in their retirement is to help them own their own home. You can already use, you can already use your super to purchase an investment property, but not your own home. Other countries such as New Zealand and Canada also have policies that allow people to use their retirement savings to help them buy their home. And under a Morrison government, you will be able to do that too. This is about increasing, increasing the choices available to you within your super. It's your money to allow you to invest in your first home. Some curious use of language there by Prime Minister Scott Morrison. Your first home, the idea that it, it's, it's not a property, an investment. Your first home is clearly the, clearly the one you buy, right? It's a silent acknowledgement that if you rent a house from someone else or an apartment or a you know, caravan or whatever it is, oh, no, it's not your home. It's not a home. It's a house. It's someone else's home. You can't have a home until you buy one of your own. Uh, insert here a long rant about how the system is extremely skewed towards the property owners in Australia and not uh, the people actually looking for a home. Yeah, it's an interesting idea and it's your money. Why can't you do what you like? And, you know, that, there's that argument um, about, well, you know, you should decide how you spend the money you get, but Paul Keating's uh, invention of the superannuation guarantee was to to really reduce pressure on the government for pensions and so on by by arranging for people to pay superannuation as as they earn money. But uh, on the seven am podcast, Mike Seckham uh, pointed out at least one obvious problem with this plan. It's been pitched as a measure to help younger buyers, but there are a couple of obvious drawbacks. First, Many young people don't have much super to draw on, certainly not uh, able to pull out $50,000. Second, if, if we imagine two potential first home buyers at an auction, you know, now armed with money they've pulled out of their super, 
they will bid against one another and bid up the price. That's that's obvious. It will pump up prices. And that's why the scheme is almost universally seen as a bad idea. Michael Reed, uh, who describes himself as an economist turned super writer, I think he means he writes about superannuation, not he's some sort of writing superhero. He says that uh, using super for housing renders some of the fund's investment strategies unworkable. Um, He points out that Take, for example, REST and Host Plus, two of the super funds. More than half of the members are under 35. So if basically if those members are able to draw down on their superannuation, taking out up to, what is it, $40,000, well, that means the funds have to remain liquid. They have to have enough short-term assets to be able to pay out those cash payments. They need that cash on hand. Whereas what they'd rather do is invest in higher return assets over the longer term. He uh, has quite a long Twitter thread on this. So, I mean, prices are going to go up, right? Because if people have more money to spend on the house, price will go up, as Mike Seckham explained. And what does this do for housing affordability for younger people? I mean, you know, young adults, people in their 20s, they're not going to have enough money in their superannuation um, for a house deposit. Uh, and There's been enough pieces, uh, you know, doing the num- rolling the numbers on this, so I don't need to do it now. So how long do you have to work to build up enough superannuation to have enough to then withdraw? It's, it's more than just a couple of years, I'm guessing. So where do you live until then? In an unaffordable rental property, <laughs> you like this actually does nothing to fix housing affordability for the vast majority of people who are having trouble. Now it's all well and good for politicians to say, "Oh, well, the ideal situation is for someone to buy a home for their retirement." Go, yeah, it's terrific if you can do that. But what if you can't? Oh, you should. You, what was it? Oh, who was that cunt who was treasurer a while back? Rich wife smoked a cigar. Anyway, him, the one who said the way to solve all this is to get a better job. Good on you, mate. Joe Hockey, that's the cunt. In Crikey, Bernard Keane wrote, well, he wrote at length, but I like this, this paragraph, quote, You have to at least acknowledge the sheer staggering genius of working out how to fuck an entire generation coming, going and on the way through. Young people have a lifetime ahead of paying for the privilege of handing their own wealth over to older Australians. It's more about the first half than the second half. Now, if you you want more details of how all this works, fuck you. Quoting from the Australian Financial Review, uh, Morrison says the coalition will not share the modelling on this, uh, the modelling for the impact it would have on housing prices. Morrison said the modelling would not be provided as he does not want to give them currency in addressing criticisms about the scheme. Quote, I simply just don't agree with the assertion that this would have a negative impact because you have to look at the balance of policies that this is addressing. So show us the numbers, mate. If if you know, show us all the numbers, if you if you think that looking at the modelling is going to show it in a bad light, 
What what do you think the problem is here, mate? Ah, uh, well, some of the minor parties uh, have thoughts on 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 housing. Maybe maybe if we end up with a minority government, a, a balanced government, uh, etc., that that some of all this will be moderated. But at the moment, um, at least the Labor policy appears to be building actual affordable housing. Um, uh, the coalition policy is just another intergenerational funds transfer in the upward direction for those loyal old coalition voters. Got to thank them. Fucking hell. There's been some slight changes uh, to the scheduling for the next uh, three episodes of this podcast before the end of the month. Um, as I mentioned, um, oh, I was just knocked around yesterday. But the order is the same, just the dates are a little bit different. So, in order, the next things you can expect are a special guest episode with David Gerrard. He of uh, cryptocurrency and NFT criticism fame will be recording on Sunday uh, afternoon. If you have any trigger words or conversation topics for that, because you've bought them previously, get them to me uh, by 4pm Australian Eastern Standard Time this Sunday, the 22nd of May. Uh, We'll sneak them in. Then after that, next Thursday, the 26th of May, it's the 9pm election unhinging, The Aftermath. That's self-explanatory. That'll be up uh, next Thursday night. And then to wrap up the autumn series, some space news. We'll be joined by Rami Mandel. He's Cosmic Rami on the Twitters, R-A-M-I. He's the founder of SpaceAustralia.com, the news site. He's an astrophysicist uh, and a nice chap. He has a dog called Max. Um, we're recording that one, oh, on the Thursday is, oh, busy Thursday. Uh, no, Friday. So I'll need your trigger words and conversation topics by Thursday the 26th at 6pm Sydney time so I can send them to him. And that will be the autumn series. At, that, that will have been fantastic. Of course, uh, this episode, I do want to thank all the people who've already pledged their support to the 9pm Winter Series 2022. That's, I mean, it is what it is. It's for the Winter Series. It's for some more special guest episodes. Um, I've already penciled in economist Uber Hack, who wrote the book The New Capitalist Manifesto, and another book called Betterness, Economics for Humans. Uh, He makes disco. Uh, he chronicles the decline of America in his very thoughtful, uh, thoughtful but very scary blog posts. Umer Hack, looking forward to him. Um, who else have put in? Oh, Dr. Trent Yarwood. Yes, he'll be back. We'll talk about the plague. Uh, someone else? Oh, look, it's on the on the thing anyway. Uh, so go to the 9pmedict.com slash winter2022. That's the 9pmedict.com slash winter2022. Oh, I know. Um, David F. Porteous III, uh, the Scottish author and chap who's been on the, the pod before. Uh, he and I predicted that there would not be war in Ukraine. And then two days later... Russia invaded Ukraine. So uh, we are experts, obviously, and uh, it'll be fun to talk to him again. So that's that's the winter series coming up. We're 
actually, as I record this, 90% of the way to target one with seven days to go. So you have until next Thursday, the 26th of May. Big day, people, big day. 9pm Australian Eastern Standard Time, we close that off. Do consider the 9pm edict.com slash Twitter 2022. Do it now, do it now, do it now, do it now. Time for a look at the hingeometer, the wonderful uh, uh, conceptual uh, piece of test equipment which measures how unhinged things are getting. We're applying it to the election campaign. After the election's over, I may apply the hingeometer to other things as we're going along. Now, last week, we ended up with a final hingeometer score of plus 42 points of unhinging. That has been going up week by week. Now, some of the things that are unhinged are still going on. A few other things have faded. So when I did the sums, I went back through how I allocated the points, and it means we start this week with the hingeometer back down at plus 26 points. Okay, I will not show my working out. This week, I want to mention this. There's a hole in your budget. More taxes are coming. It won't be easy under Albanese. Authorised by Ahurst Liberal Canberra. I'm sure you've heard it. If you haven't heard it, sorry. But there it is. It's a thing. It's a horrible ad. But there's lots of horrible ads. There are always horrible ads. Just... Look, plus one for unhinging on that because it's lame. But wait, the Liberal Party itself have made a club mix. It won't be easy under Albanese. There's a hole in your budget, dear Labor, dear Labor. Taxes are coming, more taxes with Labor. There's a hole in your budget, dear Labor, dear Labor. Taxes are coming, more taxes with Labor. I think that's enough. It goes for 1 minute 45. If you want to hear the whole thing, there are, of course, uh, links on the podcast website. As I said, plus one for just the annoying ad, but another plus three for thinking there needed to be a club mix. Of the thing. I mean, just ease kicking in on the dance floor and suddenly it's, there's a hole in the budget. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. I'm pleased to see that some of the uh, trivia questions being directed at the politicians uh, subsided a bit this week. And I'm going to do something really that I haven't done before. At the National Press Club uh, on Wednesday when Anthony Albanese was there, some arse at, and I don't know who because I haven't watched it, I had enough, some arse at tried to get in one of these, you know, name the number questions. And Laura Tingle, who you'll know from the ABC, but also she is the president of the National Press Club in camera, see, she just told that person to sit down. So I'm going to deduct an unhinging point. Yes, it's it's slightly more hinged that that was put down. I haven't got a link to that one. I didn't have time to look it up. Now, Catherine Deves, 
the Liberal candidate uh, for the seat of Warringah. We do know how she's been quite on the anti-trans thing and has all sorts of other obnoxious views. It turns out, as people have gone uh, through her backlog of tweets, she deleted her Twitter account, but they've been pulled out of the Internet Archive and they're available uh, for you to um, to enjoy, to download and read and enjoy. Uh, she has been... Look, Chad Loader on Twitter said praised and promoted Kiwi Farms, which is a far-right forum uh, linked to uh, the Christchurch mosque attack, that mass murder. I don't know whether praised and promoted is quite so far. Oh, yeah, praised. Here we go. She tweeted, yes, uh, yes, agree. But Kiwi Farms are valuable in the sense that they have collated information and data on quite a number of unsavoury individuals that is not easily accessible. But you have to gird yourself before heading over there. Okay, there's a content warning, but she did said it's valuable for for being a gathering place for far right lunatics. Um, look, I'll leave you to look at that yourself. The fact that Catherine Deves is directing people to a far-right website where these these deranged theories uh, are gathering. Plus two? I mean, how many points does Catherine Deves get? She, she's really a wrong And I think after the election, there needs to be a bit more... Well, right now, it should have happened during the election campaign, but a bit more investigation into why she is Scott Morrison's pick. Anyway, plus two there. Uh, the Corflute Wars uh, continue uh, for people listening overseas. Corflute is, in fact, the trade name for a particular kind of laminated panel thing, plastic. You know, the, the material that political placards and signs are, are made on. Well, in Australia, the word Corflute has come to mean the posters themselves, not the material, and, and even if they're not on actual Corflute. Well... Advance Australia, which is sort of a, a right-wing version of Get Up, a, a kind of uh, promotional thing, uh, they have been found, well, the Australian Electoral Commission thinks they are in breach of Section 329 of the Commonwealth Electoral Act 1918 because uh, they showed a Senate candidate uh, for the ACT, David Pocock, who is of uh, the David Pocock party. He's got his own party. Good chap. And Zali Stegel, who's an independent candidate for the electorate of Warringah in New South Wales. She is, of course, the current member there and independent. Each of the signs had the face of the candidate and their names and in a style similar to the, the posters made by those candidates, but the candidates were showing tearing their shirts open and wearing clothing with the logo of the Australian Greens Party uh, on them. So the idea is vote for these. The, these people are secret Greens. And the signage has no other images or phrases that correct that idea. Uh, clearly, they're not endorsed by the Australian Greens. And this, these signs have, have appeared also on trucks, including trucks parked near pre-poll voting centres. Now, although Advance Australia does have the authorised line on it, they're owning up to it, uh, the Electoral Commission points out, it is an offence to publish, permit or authorise to be published during the relevant period uh, any matter or thing that is likely to mislead or deceive an elector in relation to the casting of a vote. That's section 329 of the Electoral Act, following along at home. Now, 
They also cite, interesting, this is a decision from the 2019 election uh, in Garbutt Garbutt versus Liu, whatever this, remember this, when uh, some of Gladys Liu's, well, at some voting places or near a voting place, a sign was put put up in the same kind of purple that the Australian Electoral Commission uses and in, in Chinese was the writing, the correct way to vote is to vote this, and they, they, were, they were voting for the Liberal candidate. Well, when that was uh, finally decided, uh, paragraph 91 of the Federal Court decision, uh, acting as the uh, Court of Disputed Returns, um, said that that phrase, likely to mislead or deceive an elector, means a real chance of, or, of misleading or deceiving any elector, even one who is unintelligent or or gullible, or naive. So that was a new precedent. Uh, in, I know this is the basis of a conspiracy theory. Why didn't the AEC pull down these things? It's because the Liberals own them and all that. No, 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 no. At the time, the Electoral Commissioner was of the view, the view that you'd – I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but you'd have to be stupid to think that was, that was an official AEC announcement. Well – uh, the federal court has, has since decided it doesn't matter if you, they have to be stupid. Even stupid people uh, need to be not misled when voting. I mean, that's that's an interesting commentary, isn't it, on on the electorate? But yeah, it's it's as the AC said, an important precedent. And now and in the future, they'll be done. So, Advance Australia uh, disagrees. They don't think it breaches the Electoral Act because, of course, they wouldn't. Uh, but to stop legal proceedings, they have agreed not to further display the signage without providing the AEC with 48 hours' notice. I don't know what that would achieve, but there you go. Anyway, uh, there's a whole lot of other things happening in the Corflu Wars. Um, I won't go through them all, but I, I did give two points to Corflu Wars last time. I think it's up to plus three. There's some really, really stupid things happening with them. One Nation, uh, One Nation candidate uh, candidate Nick Suduk for the Cedar Hawk, uh, he issued uh, a poster with a How to Vote card saying How to Vote for One Nation uh, and it's numbered various candidates, him number one of course, and then others numbered 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, 10, 10, 11. Notice anything wrong there? I'll do that sequence again. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, 10, 10, 11. <sighs> yes, a One Nation candidate has produced a How to Vote card, which if you follow their suggestions, will result in an informal vote, as we call it in Australia. That is to say, an invalid vote. On the other hand, this is not... Totally unusual for Pauline Hansen's One Nation Party, so plus one point for them. Phil Curry from the Australian Financial Review. I haven't read any of his stuff this week, but I saw kerfuffle on Twitter. I, I'm going to give him Phil Curry plus two just on spec, just like as a matter of principle. The man's getting unhinged. Uh, a couple from the Worst of Ospol Twitter account. Someone with the Twitter handle... DJ Rob Step, who puts in as his name Wheel Reinventor, 
says, there'll be a lot of talk this week about who will, quote, win the election. Remember, the real winner is determined by popular vote. The only way Labor or Liberals will, quote, win, unquote, is via a gerrymandering conspiracy they've cooked up together called not supporting proportional voting. I don't need to explain why that's unhinged, do I? And the United Australia candidate by the name of Mark Rex uh, said the other day on the 17th of May, a little bird just told me that Liberals have held an emergency meeting during the postal ballot counts after seeing the influx of United Australia Party votes. So this candidate, Mark Rex, who's candidate uh, one uh, United Australia Party candidate for Greenway in northwestern Sydney. Uh, he says he's a former New South Wales police officer and a former Australian Army Reserve soldier. I mean, thank you for your service, sir. But you're a fuckwit. The count hasn't started. The count doesn't start until 6pm local time on election night. So your little birdie is a fucking liar. Fucking dog liar. Plus three to those two together. Just to remind people, the vote counting has not started. And the other thing, which is just insane, people talking about, oh, it's the Dominion voting machines will do this. There there are no voting machines in Australia. They're, they're not a thing here. And they can't be a thing unless there's a change to the Electoral Act. What's wrong with these people? And finally for the hingeometer this week, Tacklegate. Again, I'm not linking to any of this, but uh, Scott Morrison yesterday was doing one of those stupid man in a in a in like a shirt and tie and long pants uh, at a kiddie's soccer field, have a bit of a kick, and he ended up bowling over a kiddie on the soccer field, and down they went. Morrison on top of a kid, you know, half his weight, third of his weight, or something. So many people seem to think this was somehow deliberate that somehow it was meant to gazump Albo's National Press Club event so Morrison would get in the news rather than Albo by looking like he was either incompetent on the footy field, which he is. I mean, he's he's an oaf, a clumsy oaf, or somehow that he deliberately assaulted a child so that the video of him assaulting the child will be on the news rather than Anthony Albanese. I I was going to give that plus two unhinging points. I'm actually going to go plus four. I am editing my running sheet now, so I remember this for next time. Plus four. Now, let's go plus five, because I saw... Um, I saw... <sighs> mad fucking witches going on about how this was deliberate and that if it's not reported, if if Morrison is not charged with assault, then that only goes to show or some such thing. One, two, three, start it. Where did we start? 26 plus three. Well, and the, the last one plus five. That gets us to a total of plus 45, a little bit more unhinged than last week. This is the last one before the election, the last reading of the hingeometer. 
I might tweet something on election night. We'll see. But thank you, everyone, for your suggestions. Uh, the Hingeometer sits at plus 45. And now briefly, for a change of pace, here's a few words from the 43rd President of the United States of America, George W. Bush. In contrast... Russian elections are rigged. Political opponents are imprisoned or otherwise eliminated from participating in the electoral process. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia and the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. (laughs) Iraq, too. Anyway. uh, (laughs) 75. Uh. <laughs> Thank you, W, for making that clear. Uh, the 75 he's referring to is his age. That's not that old, and I thought he was doing quite well. He's got his painting. Doesn't show real signs of derangement. Not like some actual sitting political leaders or those of recent history. Anyway, I just thought you might like to hear that. Just a bit of fun. At this point, I should mention a segment that I've actually dropped. I was going to talk about it, uh, but the situation is moving too quickly and, and probably what I was going to say could well be out of date by the time I even finish saying this sentence. Now, the issue is, what if you're COVID positive and you can't go to a polling station on Saturday because you're meant to be in isolation, but you didn't get a postal vote application in by the deadline of Tuesday night. Well, in theory, there's phone voting. But the way the announcement has been written and the law has been written, there's – well, (laughs) I've been in arguments on Twitter tonight about what it actually means. But but the question is, what if you – tested positive for COVID before 6pm Tuesday night but didn't know there was a deadline for postal voting. Your COVID test is from before the the possibility of phone voting came in at that same time when postal voting closed. Now, there's one argument which says, well, you should have known that. Everyone was sent a thing about when postal voting runs out and if if you didn't, you know, think about that uh, when you got your COVID, positive COVID test, you know, on Tuesday or Monday or before that, it's your own fault. Bad luck, you miss out. Another point of view says, well, it, it should have been clearer and why can't I now say, well, hang on, I was COVID positive. I'm still going to be COVID positive by Saturday. Um, So I should be able to register for phone voting, even though my positive test is from before 6pm Tuesday night. Now, there's an argument about that. Uh, I was going to throw some unhinging points at it, but but I see, even as I I speak, uh, some people have been tweeting bits and pieces at me, some quotes from the legislation and so on. I think the fairest thing to say is 
there is a bit of confusion and upset about there uh, out there. And, you know, there's, there's really a day and a half for the Electoral Commission to clarify this. I will say, though, in any election, there are people who wake up on Saturday morning sick and therefore can't go and vote, and they miss out. Uh, that's, that's a thing that happens. You can also argue that COVID is a bit different because there's a lot more people each day, you know, five figures worth of people testing positive every day. So I, I thought I had an opinion on this and I don't. If you're in this situation, um, stay tuned or just send me a name and address and date of birth and I'll pop in and vote on your behalf. <laughs> no, I, I won't. I won't. That's illegal. Now, I have been uh, ending these episodes with a look at the polls and the the odds, the betting odds uh, for the election, and I will get to that in a moment. But I wanted to talk about something I haven't talked about yet, which is qualitative research, which is where I mean focus groups. That's what we're talking about, focus groups. And Samantha Maiden at news.com.au um, wrote a lovely piece the other day. Look, I, I recommend you read it because she sat in on a ninety-minute focus group of undecided voters from the western parts of Sydney define somehow. And the group was selected and skewed towards women because it turns out that uh, many male voters have said they've already made up their minds. So there's more undecided women than men. And I assume what happened is that someone who was part of the focus group got in touch with her so she could come and sit and watch. Now, she says, quote... The voters, assembled by the Redbridge Group, returned again and again to perceptions of the Prime Minister's character. The words they used to describe him? Arrogant, selfish, inflexible, obnoxious, a bad leader, a wannabe. And then there's a moment that occurs in just about every focus group, according to the pollsters. The voters raise the issue of Morrison's family holiday while bushfires rage down Australia's east coast. And they raise that unprompted. It's clear that that's... That was a turning point, I think for many people and, and talking about Scott Morrison. Anyway, that's uh, you know, links on the website. That's uh, Sam Maiden's piece. Michelle Grattan wrote a, a longer piece uh, for The Conversation, well worth reading the whole thing. Um, she looked at some polling. This is, uh, well, from the, it was done in March 2020 and also again in March 2022, so this year, by Roy Morgan, and they asked respondents to name unprompted any politicians and any politicians, uh, any politicians they trusted, and any politicians they distrusted, and we know that in the most recent one, the the politician with the highest trust was uh, Senator Penny Wong, the Labor leader in in the Senate. Now, in the March twenty twenty survey, only eight percent of respondents trusted Morrison while 17% distrusted him. That's 17% just named him as someone they didn't trust without prompting. And when they repeated that in uh, two years later, in March this year, Morrison's unprompted trust had fallen from 8 to 6% of respondents and the unprompted distrust level had risen from 17 to 25%. 
so four times. In both surveys, Morrison was the most distrusted politician that they named. Now, in his defence, he's also the Prime Minister and the politician that most people know of and don't trust. The most common reason, writes Michelle Grattan, for this distrust was telling lies, being dishonest or misleading. Uh, And those, those numbers went up between the two surveys as well. So it's a lengthy profile. Uh, it's well worth reading, or at least <laughs> give it another two days and it may not be relevant to anything. Uh, I'll quote one more bit, though. A Liberal who has dealt extensively with Morrison says, quote, he's completely unencumbered by beliefs and values, which makes him so effective. His beating heart is a focus group. Uh, Michelle goes on to say, Morrison might be unencumbered by belief, but he's well endowed with self-belief, bolstered in considerable part by his Pentecostal faith. Now, I often think that people make too much of Morrison's religion. Um, I have mixed feelings about that. Uh, I think people's religion is is in many ways a private matter, but of course uh, people's private beliefs inform how they approach policy issues. But then I'm reminded of this bit, and, and Michelle Grattan mentions this too, back uh, a little while back, Morrison was speaking to a conference of Australian Christian churches, which I don't think represents all Christian churches. I think that's just the evangelical ones. Um, and he talks about how when on the 2019 election campaign trail, he sought a sign from God. I was up on the uh, Central Coast, and I was up there with Jenny. It was, a, it was a pretty tough week, actually, last couple of weeks of the campaign. And I was at Ken Duncan's gallery, and I, had, I didn't know we were going to go to Ken Duncan's gallery. We were speaking at a rally that day, and we had to go and hold somewhere, as you, we often do before we go to the next event. And uh, I must admit, I was saying to myself, where are you? Where are you? I'd like a reminder, if that's okay. <laughs> I walked into his gallery, and there, right in front of me, was the biggest picture of a soaring eagle that I could imagine. And of course, the verse hit me that soaring wings of an eagle, run and do not grow weary, walk and not go faint. But the message I got that day was, Scott, you've got to run to not grow weary. People send me verses, they tell me their stories, they they share things with me, they share things with Jenny. It's a privilege. It is an absolute privilege. I've been in evacuation centres where people thought I was just giving someone a hug and I was praying and putting my hands on people in various places, laying hands on them and praying in various situations. Morrison genuinely believes he has a sign from God that he's been appointed by God to be the Prime Minister of Australia. Should he lose uh, this Saturday, and we'll know perhaps in 40, uh, 48 hours, 48 hours, good heavens, how will he react to the sign from God that his time is over? It'd be interesting to see. He may, he may not lose. I mean, the polling 
says he will. Essentials uh, polling came out yesterday, the last one before the election. Yeah, very, very clear Labor win from them. I've linked to all the details. I won't go through it now. The sports bet odds are interesting. Insert brackets, betting responsibly, doesn't mean anything, lost leaders for the betting companies, etc., etc. But as you know, they'd been about $1.30, $1.35 for a Labor win over recent months. And then in the last couple of weeks, it narrowed uh, all the way to a $1.30, then $1.28, then even $1.26, I think I saw at one stage for a Labor win. Well, in the last few days, it has gone the, the, other, the other way, not, not to a coalition win uh, being, being the favourite, but uh, a couple of hours ago when I checked, uh, Labor had uh, the odds had lengthened to $1.53, still $2.65 for a coalition win. But that is extremely volatile. Let me just look now. It's uh, just after 8pm on Thursday night. Just uh, pour yourself another drink while I'm doing this because my internet's are a bit slow at the moment. Dollar forty-seven, so it's shortening again. Dollar forty-seven for a Labor win, two dollars eighty-five for a Coalition win, and eighty eighty-one dollars for any other result. I think, I think people that that's been out to one hundred and one dollars and beyond. I think people are just putting money in that as a last-minute, you know, fuck it, I'll put fifty bucks on it, and it's not, it's not going to be a thing. I'm going to be uh, having drinks on Saturday night with a friend. We'll be watching the coverage. We'll certainly be tweeting about it. Um, I may record some on-the-spot reactions, uh, which I'll put into next Thursday's episode, The Aftermath. But my final thoughts here really are it still is Labor's election to lose. Morrison is clearly unliked. The polls have been working against him. But has Labor become a winner in the eyes of the most important groups, the undecided, low-engagement voters, as we call them? Those people in the focus groups, sure, they, they can't stand Morrison. I mean, he is a cunt. But does that mean they'll vote Labor if they normally wouldn't or haven't decided? That is what we'll find out, as I say, in the next 48 hours. And that's the edict for now. Uh, go to the 9pmedict.com slash winter2022 and do the needful. Please do that. The next episodes uh, will be on Tuesday with David Jarrett about crypto and NFT. And then on Thursday for the aftermath of the election. Until then, I'm still Garyan. Wash your hands and vote early, vote often. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.